Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Intelligence Matters ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is Intelligence Matters with former acting director of the CIA, Michael Morell. Brought to you by Palantir Technologies. Foundational software of tomorrow, delivered today. Zalmay Khalilzad is the former United States ambassador to the United Nations, to Iraq, and to Afghanistan. He played a major role in the formulation and execution of Afghan policy over the past 20 years. We just sat down with the ambassador to talk about what went wrong in Afghanistan. We'll be right back with that discussion after a word from our sponsor. I'm Michael Morrell, and this is Intelligence Matters. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ambassador, welcome to our show. It's uh, great to chat with you again. It's been a while. Well, it's great to be with you. I'm looking forward to the chat. Before we get to that, I did want to mention that you're the author of a terrific book called The Envoy, From Kabul to the White House, My Journey Through a Turbulent World. You're going to have to update it or even write a new book, given what's happened the last couple of years. Yes, I'm very much thinking about that. Uh, Thank you for what you said about my previous book. So, Ambassador, I want to kind of cover the waterfront here, and I want to start by going all the way back to the U.S. involvement, or rather lack of U.S. involvement in Afghanistan in the aftermath of the withdrawal of Soviet forces in 1989. And I'm wondering if you think there are things the U.S. could have done in that period or not that would have or could have precluded the Taliban's takeover of the country just a few years later and would have prevented pretty much all of the mess that we've had to deal with? That's a very important question, a question that I have pondered on. It goes back to the uh, struggle against the Soviet Union in the 1980s, as you know well. We uh, assisted the Afghans, the United States, and in their struggle and their resistance against the Soviet Union which had come into Afghanistan after a pro-Soviet coup had taken place and it had run into difficulties because it was seeking to transform Afghanistan uh, to a Soviet republic in terms of internal reforms. And uh, traditional Afghan leaders, uh, tribes, uh, and religious leaders resisted that effort and uh, a significant conflict took place. Among the forces that fought the Soviets the hardest were Islamic forces uh, led by some of the people who are still around, like Gulbuddin Hekmatyar of the Islamic Party. And we, working together with our partners and with Pakistan, 
uh, supported those forces. But our assumption at that time was, uh, as we were supporting those groups, that the Soviets would uh, ultimately prevail. And therefore, our objective became to impose as much cost as possible on the Soviets uh, to deter further Soviet expansion. There was some uh, belief that uh, the invasion of Afghanistan may may have been part of a broader effort to get to the warm waters, a long-term Russian objective, it was assumed, and towards uh, the Arabian Sea and the Persian Gulf. They had come closer by invading Afghanistan. But um, as it turned out, uh, we were more effective than we thought, the Afghans and us, in imposing costs. And the Soviets were not as tough, as determined as we uh, had assumed. And the Soviets ultimately uh, agreed to withdraw from Afghanistan. And... uh, uh, if uh, at that time, uh, as the Soviets indicated they were going to withdraw, uh, we could have uh, worked together perhaps with, uh, with the Soviets uh, uh, and uh, with more moderate uh, Afghans uh, to put a government together uh, that uh, that would have avoided a continuing war uh, that, uh, that ultimately led to the uh, civil war and the Taliban takeover, perhaps the current uh, and subsequent steps could have been avoided. But we didn't, uh, uh, in part because we didn't trust the Soviets, we didn't even believe that they were serious about withdrawal. There was uh, also the idea that how could one adjust against forces that had given us this great victory, which it was, the victory against the Soviets in Afghanistan. It may have helped to the collapse of the Soviet, to what extent we don't know. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, initially we continued our support uh, of the, of the, uh, of the uh, anti-Soviet Mujahideen, as they were called, but ultimately we we sort of abandoned Afghanistan, uh, and as I said before, a civil war happened, and uh, uh, and uh, that Al Qaeda was part of the mix uh, in that civil war. Yeah, uh, missed opportunity. Yeah, missed opportunity potentially. Scholars would have to look at that in in greater depth. Than I have just described. So let me um, let me then jump, Mr. Ambassador, all the way to the immediate aftermath of 9/11. Um, as you know, President Bush gave the Taliban an opportunity to avoid war. You know, essentially bring Bin Laden to justice in some way. The Taliban chose not to do that. But once they were driven from power, once the Taliban was driven from power, I'm wondering whether you believe there might have been missed opportunities in the early years after 9-11 regarding how we and the new Afghan government dealt with the Taliban that could have ended the war much earlier and more on our terms than where we ended up. Were there missed opportunities there too? I believe so. Uh, Although at that time, I was personally not aware of it. um, but it, it, uh, I have learned since uh, that uh, after the agreement uh, in Bonn, when the Taliban government was overthrown uh, to form a new government uh, that the UN uh, had the lead on, uh, the uh, uh, Taliban apparently, um, uh, this has been confirmed to me by, by President Karzai, uh, that they did... Uh, 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 give a letter essentially accepting the Karzai-led government as a legitimate government, but demanding an exchange for that and that they uh, be allowed to live in uh, dignity and honor in their homes and not to be pursued. Uh, And uh, uh, President Karzai uh, uh, asked them, he said, this is Karzai's report, to go and read that letter on the uh, radio, in a local radio in Kandahar, and he says they did. But uh, 
why that agreement uh, uh, was not accepted, why the, that uh, uh, offer was not acted on. On the one hand, uh, uh, it's understandable that there was a great deal of anger in the U.S. given what had happened. Uh, President Bush uh, several times uh, uh, told me directly uh, as I, first as his envoy and then when he nominated me to be his ambassador to Kabul that we should bring the Taliban to justice and whether there could have been a different balance between the requirements of justice uh, and the requirements of uh, reconciliation and ending the war in Afghanistan uh, I think there was a missed opportunity uh, uh, then, and uh, Karzai reports that he was told uh, by uh, uh, one of our senior leaders not uh, that that was not a, uh, uh, an opportunity or an option uh, that uh, we could support uh, that Taliban uh, offer and that uh, uh, we wanted, uh, uh, still there was a lot of accountability uh, that had to be, uh, that had to take place. So that, that was, in my judgment, uh, uh, a missed opportunity. So during this period, just after 9-11, you were on President Bush's National Security Council staff. You and I used to see each other in the mornings often. I'm wondering if you can explain to folks how we went from a narrow CT mission in Afghanistan just after 9-11 to a broader nation-milding mission. How did that happen? There were two factors that I think... Uh, 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 let's do it one kind of directly and one sort of almost uh, uh, kind of uh, without uh, a, a direct uh, uh, confrontation and debate of the issue. Uh, and the one that was more direct was uh, the issue that uh, uh, in order to uh, preclude uh, Afghanistan ever again becoming a platform for uh, terrorists such as Al-Qaeda, uh, uh, who was going to ensure that? Were we going to be uh, occupying Afghanistan and ensuring uh, that preclusion or were we going to build the Afghan security forces and institutions of Afghanistan uh, so that the Afghans would do it? And I think uh, uh, over time, incrementally, with a variety of steps, such as starting the building up of Afghan national security forces, uh, a decision was uh, that it's better, cheaper, if the Afghans would do it, and uh, we would be in, in, in support mode. And uh, so that was one that's, uh, that we needed to build Afghan institutions, help build Afghan institutions to, uh, to, uh, to control the Afghan territory, that uncontrolled territory would attract uh, uh, terrorists. Second was this uh, uh, kind of a vision that the president acquired over time, and especially in his second term, which was that the Middle East, broader Middle East Islamic parts from Pakistan to Morocco uh, was the kind of dysfunctional region uh, that produced security problems for the world, the way a dysfunctional Europe uh, uh, before World War II and uh, until the end of World War II had been the security uh, problem of the world, create, you know, leading or producing two world wars and many other wars and conflicts uh, in, in their own region and beyond. And so uh, the president embraced this vision uh, of uh, transforming the Middle East into a zone of peace, uh, prosperity, and democracy the way Europe had become. And that democratization uh, uh, was a key requirement. Uh, and therefore, Iraq and Afghanistan were the two pillars of this uh, uh, new Middle East, the transformed Middle East, 
Uh, and so uh, uh, I think those two forces, beliefs, uh, uh, and particularly with President Bush, I think were 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 uh, contributors uh, to this uh, broader uh, vision for transformation of Afghanistan as well. At the time, were you confident that the mission in Afghanistan was achievable? And looking back on what happened over the last twenty years, do you still think that it was achievable? I think that uh, at one level, of course, it's hard to. Uh, reject that vision, the second vision, uh, it's sort of uh, very appealing. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, that a certain appeal uh, that uh, all peoples everywhere are essentially the same. Uh, and that uh, at the old times that people thought you couldn't, uh, democracy in Germany couldn't go together or democracy in Japan or the People argued about India, given its uh, various uh, communities and belief systems. But uh, I, I think uh, 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 there is always a question of ends and means and, uh, and uh, stages. Uh, I, I, I thought uh, that uh, uh, what would have required to succeed in that mission, uh, which was the uh, it would have been multi-generational uh, and, uh, and it would have also required difficult decisions uh, uh, that, uh, for example, you know, what do you do about the sanctuaries for uh, opposition in Pakistan, which produced uh, its own challenges because we, on the, on, the, on the one hand, we were very dependent on Pakistan uh, for the things we did in Afghanistan, including on the military front. And, on the, and we also needed Pakistan's help on Al-Qaeda. Um, but on the other hand, Pakistan also was providing a safe haven uh, for uh, Taliban leaders. And, and, and that was uh, uh, obviously uh, impacted uh, what we, uh, what we uh, did or, or didn't do what we achieved or didn't achieve. Uh, so in retrospect, it was... Uh, uh, Given all the limitations uh, and the requirements, uh, uh, when some people were saying in order to pacify Afghanistan, for example, uh, there's some colleague that ran where I had worked, you would have had to occupy with 450,000 or so troops, and, and the will to do that was not there. So uh, it was an appealing vision, uh, kind of a daring vision. Uh, but it was uh, it was unrealistic, obviously, given the constraints and the circumstances, both there and here. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with more of our discussion with Sal Khalilzad. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. So, Ambassador, let's turn to the negotiations that you led with the Taliban. I want to understand them, and I want my listeners to understand them. And let me start by asking you what your instructions were from President Trump. What were his objectives in beginning these negotiations? Uh, the president, uh, President Trump, uh, uh, changed his mind uh, uh, in Afghanistan uh, initially. Uh, uh, under the influence of uh, General McMaster embraces a new South Asia strategy. And then uh, uh, by the time he, the, the administration reached out to me, uh, he had gone sour on his own uh, strategy that he had enunciated uh, and uh, had come to a, to a view, to a belief uh, that... Uh, uh, we uh, were not prevailing in Afghanistan, and that Afghanistan uh, 
was going south uh, and uh, it was like at the same time as we were not prevailing we were it was too expensive uh, that uh, uh, Afghanistan did not uh, rank in terms of importance to the United States in his judgment that we should be spending perhaps as high as 40 billion dollars a year so that uh, he wanted to um, to get out of Afghanistan and uh, 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 that he wanted a, a safe withdrawal of forces and uh, some commitment, uh, a credible commitment on terrorism uh, from the Afghans and that uh, the mission that I was given was to sit with the Talibs and engage the government to see if an agreement could be achieved where the U.S. could withdraw from Afghanistan its forces uh, relatively soon, uh, but get some commitments on 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 uh, on counterterrorism, uh, and at the same time, uh, Secretary Pompeo and myself uh, thought that. It would be desirable uh, in achieving or trying to achieve the president's objective of departing Afghanistan to get a political agreement, to try to get a political agreement between the government of Afghanistan that we supported and recognized and the Taliban also, uh, and that uh, a, a peace agreement, a political agreement uh, uh, would... Uh, uh, serve our interests, uh, leave a good legacy behind. Uh, I have to say that uh, the President uh, Trump uh, and even Secretary Pompeo, uh, uh, like the rest of us, they, uh, uh, were skeptical how easy that, uh, that would be to get the Afghans to agree uh, to a political agreement. I thought myself that it was uh, very important nevertheless to try that although the chances may not be high, but it's important enough that it's worth trying. It will be the right thing to do. It will serve U.S. interests, uh, not only in Afghanistan, but, uh, and, uh, uh, but beyond to, to have tried. And maybe we could, uh, maybe we, uh, with the help from others, uh, with, with influence on both sides, we could achieve a political agreement. So, th and the instructions were uh, to, 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 uh, along the lines I just described, and I was launched to go and talk to the Talibs and the government. So given the situation on the ground in Afghanistan, and given that President Trump was publicly signaling that we were going to leave, did you feel yourself negotiating from a position of weakness or not? Well, I, I think that uh, it, it was uh, with the Talibs, uh, uh, it was making it difficult, especially in after the agreement was signed with the Talibs, I'm talking about more in 2020, and the president, the agreement was a condition-based agreement. Uh, his statements earlier that he was willing to leave Afghanistan was helpful in dealing with the Talibs because, uh, and they were suspicious, uh, they were very suspicious that the U.S. would ever leave Afghanistan. Many Afghans, as you know, uh, saw that their country was the most important piece of real estate in the world. I mean, uh, the Afghanistan's close to China, close to Russia, next to Pakistan and Iran. Who would want to leave uh, that piece of, of uh, geopolitical uh, uh, real estate? And so uh, uh, the, the president, uh, I think, his statements at, at, at the beginning were helpful uh, in give more credibility uh, to uh, that being in Afghanistan is not an end in itself for us. Uh, and I made that point that only uh, we would want to be there if we, uh, we uh, felt that terrorism could, uh, could take our place and threaten the security of the United States again. Uh, but later, uh, as an agreement, um, I'm sure you might ask about that, uh, we will talk about it, uh, was a condition-based agreement, but he made it more and more clear uh, in, uh, as of the summer of uh, 
2020 that he was he wanted to get out regardless of conditions, and that made the the, the job harder because the Talibs committed to things in the agreement that they were dragging their feet and implementing, and 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 they got away with it because the agreement uh, said that we will go from phase one, which was to come down to 8,600, to the next phase after assessing whether the Talibs had met the conditions of the agreement. And I briefed the Congress on that several times, uh, but we didn't actually, uh, in reality, do that. He was just uh, announcing that we should go down to the, uh, this number and the, or the other 4,500 uh, uh, from 8,600, and then to leave altogether uh, uh, before his term was over. So. And that was not uh, that was not uh, uh, helpful in terms of the negotiations, but uh, we but his interest was to get the troops out uh, without uh, the uh, uh, the troops being threatened and and by the Talibs and that happened. Yeah, and that's exactly where I was going. Can you can you walk us through the outcome of the negotiations? What did the United States get? What did the Taliban get? Etc. Yeah, the, the agreement, uh, the result of uh, an almost a year of negotiations uh, had four elements. Uh, uh, one was the Taliban commitment not to allow any terrorist group, including Al-Qaeda, which was uh, specifically mentioned, and that was one of the hardest things to get out of them, to use the soil of Afghanistan, uh, initially the areas that they controlled, but ultimately, uh, if they became part of a future government, the whole of Afghanistan uh, 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 against the United States and our allies to plot and plan against the United States uh, and our allies. The second was uh, timetable for withdrawal of U.S. forces. Third was the beginning of inter-Afghan negotiations for the establishment of a new government. And fourth was a comprehensive and permanent ceasefire. The, uh, the, uh, uh, the conditionality of the U.S. withdrawal uh, with regard to terrorism was very tight. The conditionality uh, of uh, uh, U.S. withdrawal with regard to inter-Afghan uh, negotiations and agreement and comprehensive ceasefire was not, uh, not uh, as tight. Uh, the, the former described as a package, but uh, people were nervous in Washington, including the president, that if we made the conditions tight, then we would get stuck there as the Afghans might never come to an agreement with each other. Uh, but uh, the government of Afghanistan was unhappy about that. They wanted a tight connection between withdrawal and the formation of a new government. Uh, and that we wouldn't withdraw, uh, in other words, until there was an agreement. And uh, and uh, uh, but but those were the the, the four key elements uh, uh, of the agreement. And can you give us, Ambassador, any insight into what was in the so-called secret annexes? Why and and why did there need to be secret annexes? Yeah. Well, thank you for asking that. That's an important question. Uh, uh, the, the secret annexes, classified annexes, were two. Uh, one, we wanted to do it, uh, and that was the sort of dealing with the issues of sequences uh, in terms of bases that we would draw from. And it was, that was an operational issue, which five bases we were going to leave in the first phase, which they were, and what are the subsequent phases, uh, sequencing, and what it would take. Uh, second uh, annex uh, uh, had to do with terrorism uh, uh, commitment of the Talibs, what they could, what they would do uh, with regard to Daesh, uh, and what they would do uh, uh, with regard to uh, other groups, and how we would interact with each other uh, uh, on the issue of terrorism uh, in the operational details of it. Uh, so it wasn't anything about the future of Afghanistan or about our military uh, presence there. There's been a lot written and speculated on as to what those annexes dealt with. They really dealt uh, with operational details of those two issues. 
Gotcha. So with the signing of the agreement, what did you expect to happen? And then when did that picture start to diverge from your expectations? I just wonder if a big part of this is the failure of the talks between the Taliban and the Afghan government. Yeah. On the U.S. Taliban part uh, of it, uh, the agreement was uh, largely implemented, meaning uh, that the Taliban had agreed that as soon as the agreement was signed, uh, there would be no attacks by the Talibs against U.S. and coalition forces. So for 18 months since, there was not a single fatality, U.S. Uh, or coalition by the, uh, from the Talib attacks uh, after the signing. Second uh, was uh, that uh, the Talibs agreed that we could defend the Afghan forces. If they attacked the Afghan forces, uh, since there was no ceasefire yet between the government and the Talibs, and, and uh, there was no negotiations even, uh, their conflict will continue. Uh, there will be uh, there will be some things that won't happen and something that would happen, uh, including uh, and that if they attack the government forces the U.S. coalition could come to the defense of the Afghan forces by attacking the Talibs. And we delivered on that, and the Talibs, although very unhappy that sometimes we, uh, they wanted the attack to take place. Where the fight was, we interpreted it more broadly, but nevertheless, they, uh, they didn't escalate by attacking and killing Americans. Uh, and on, on terrorism, in, in terms of not allowing plotting and planning, uh, we were satisfied that they did that. There was a question of whether they should break ties and expel those uh, terrorists who were there, like Al-Qaeda. And uh, 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 frankly, uh, uh, the discussions were interesting. We can't, I can't go into all the details except that uh, did we want to have them expelled uh, from Afghanistan where these people would go or is it better given that we were in Afghanistan if they were there uh, but not allowed to plot and plan so we can keep an eye on them and even hit them if we decide to do so. But when it came to inter-Afghan negotiation, which for Afghanistan was the most important, there were challenges. One was uh, that the, the Talibs uh, not wanted to meet with the Afghan government, and in order to do so, uh, they had proposed that all prisoners held by both sides be released. Ultimately, in the agreement, it stated that up to 5,000 uh, Taliban prisoners, uh, the government had some 15,000 plus Talib prisoners, and uh, all the prisoners that the government had uh, uh, with the Talib, meaning a thousand uh, government uh, prisoners were, the Talibs were holding should be free. Ultimately, uh, that took a while to do, although the agreement said within 10 days, uh, negotiations should begin. But ultimately it did start five or six months later. And the government uh, was dragging its feet also. Uh, um, uh, the negotiations didn't go uh, as smoothly as we would have liked. Our elections uh, uh, was a factor for the government. The government was hoping that the new administration would uh, perhaps uh, be less anxious to, to, to withdraw forces, uh, be more supportive in the negotiation. They thought that the Trump administration uh, was not as supportive of the government as it should have, should, should have been or should be and uh, we tried to accelerate the negotiations because the 14 months of timetable was sort of, we were running out of that. We, I, we would have liked to see the agreement before the withdrawal was completed. And if there was an agreed negotiated government, we wanted to negotiate the security and political relationship with that government. Uh, that uh, we proposed uh, then a, a plan of our own to bring the two sides together. But uh, uh, if you ask, I will tell you what that plan included. But nevertheless, the inter-Afghan negotiations uh, did not make progress. As the fighting went on, uh, the, uh, the uh, government was losing ground, uh, uh, even with our support of them, uh, 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 to by attacking the Talibs and obviously providing support uh, for the Afghan military forces. 
Was the Afghan government in any way, Ambassador, reluctant to engage in these negotiations because they weren't at the table for your negotiations? Was there any linkage there or not? No, they, they uh, you know, our um, uh, negotiation with the Talibs was also a negotiation with the government, except that uh, they were not at the table. I shuttled uh, with my team that was an interagency team between the two sides. And the government was entirely in the picture as to what we were doing. Sometimes there were statements that they were not in the picture. Uh, No, they were in the picture. And uh, the same day that we signed the agreement with the Talibs, uh, we had a joint statement with the government that uh, had all the key elements in it as well. Uh, But uh, the 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 government obviously would have preferred uh, and understandably so that it negotiate with the Talibs with us uh, supporting it just sitting behind it but uh, we had tried that for the previous 16 17 years and over time incrementally the policy objectives or approach change initially we wanted the Talibs to accept the constitution renounce terror uh, except the new government uh, uh, and abandoned violence to, to talk to them. But as the situation militarily became more difficult, uh, our position evolved until uh, uh, under President Obama, we started to talk to the Talibs uh, uh, and they opened their office in Doha uh, and, uh, uh, and uh, the Trump administration after uh, trying this new South Asia strategy uh, uh, embraced that and uh, I, I took over from colleagues uh, who, who had uh, discussed or negotiated with the Taliban before. But the government would have preferred uh, that, uh, that you know, President Ghani in particular, uh, his preference was for him and the leader of the Taliban to sit together uh, and negotiate an agreement. It was Sadat to Jerusalem was uh, often uh, his metaphor. Uh, to me, and the Taliban were never prepared to do that. So the choice would have been either we go the route uh, that we decided to do, we negotiate, and then that opens the door to Afghan-Afghan negotiations, and uh, and uh, and uh, uh, or to continue uh, uh, the fight uh, and uh, the, the the fight we were losing ground each year for the previous six or seven years each year. The Talibs right. had gained more ground uh, than the year before, so the military trends were not positive. There was no desire to kind of escalate, send money, more forces. So either you you kind of uh, had a kind of worsening stalemate, uh, uh, and you negotiate, or just uh, keep keep doing more of the same. So, with regard to the Taliban, you know, they said they were willing to do these negotiations. You know, there are some people who say that they were just telling us what we wanted to hear and they weren't serious about coming to an agreement. What's your view on that? I, I think that uh, uh, that uh, there were differences inside the Taliban about that. Uh, and especially as it became more and more clear uh, that the uh, president, President Trump, wanted to leave, uh, um, uh, you know, withdraw the uh, the forces that those who thought we can have uh, the whole thing rather than what I put ultimately on the table of a 50-50 power sharing. Uh, I gave them essentially both sides of plan because they were not, uh, they were dragging their feet on both sides on, uh, on uh, kind of procedural issues for a very long time. And yet the timetable of 14 months we were running out of time. And uh, and that besides 50-50, that the leader would be someone that would be mutually acceptable. Uh, 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 I think there were differences, but with uh, I think the people like Mala Brother, the leader of the delegation, uh, and others thought uh, that the political settlement, uh, although the terms shifted, the balance shifted from being a power sharing to an inclusive government, to a government then to be dominated by the Talibs uh, with the security ministries as the ground uh, realities were changing. They adjusted that that would be better for them uh, than an outright military takeover 
because of the questions of acceptance by the international community, sanctions, there were a list of things they wanted, and uh, uh, which would have only happened uh, if there was a negotiated settlement. So uh, uh, I think uh, I would say broadly uh, they wanted a political settlement, but the, uh, the terms that cha kept changing and it became more de they became more demanding as uh, uh, as uh, we uh, our desire to leave became ever more apparent and we would grow uh, we'd reduce to a 2500 without doing a, an honest to goodness assessment of whether the Talibs had met the conditions by the end of the Trump administration that was one uh, 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 driving factor that uh, empowered or emboldened Talibs to make more demands that they did when the negotiation started and second was the change uh, uh, also on the ground that the afghan forces were not performing as well uh, uh, as they uh, some of them at least had anticipated they would do those two factors i think made them more demanding but they nevertheless uh, even uh, two weeks before uh, the takeover of kabul uh, they uh, we made an agreement that they announced and which is that they and they, they would not enter Kabul uh, and that uh, the delegation will come, including former President Karzai and Dr. Abdullah and others, that by then President Ghani had empowered them that they would, he would accept whatever they negotiated and that there will be a ceremony for transfer of power to a Talib-dominated but inclusive government that uh, up to 13 Republican uh, officials will be members of the cabinet was uh, kind of the goal. Uh, that uh, that uh, uh, was being discussed. And did you get, um, particularly in those early months of the Taliban interacting with the Afghan government, did you get the support that you needed from Washington, the support you needed from the White House and the State Department? You know, as somebody looking at this from the outside, it it, it didn't seem like there was a lot of engagement. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Could you have used more help? I think that. Uh, I could have used more help, definitely, always, uh, then especially, and if, uh, and we were divided. Uh, you can imagine uh, from your own vast experience on what would be the right uh, tactic uh, to do. Uh, one, of course, I thought approaching a condition-based approach uh, would be, if we wanted a negotiated settlement, would be helpful. And uh, especially with President Biden, uh, uh, he, we tried hard uh, uh, to uh, describe the various options that he faced uh, as a new president. And he, um, uh, uh, although differed from, from President Trump in many ways, but on, the, uh, on linking American troop presence to an agreement uh, among Afghans, he was uh, very similar to his predecessor. He did not want to make a, a withdrawal conditional, particularly if it meant uh, we will, might have to go back to fight. Uh, in other words, the Talib commitment not to attack us w would uh, expire and we would have to defend ourselves. Uh, that was the supposition. Uh, so uh, I thought that if we didn't want to uh, do a condition base, then the thing to do was to press President Ghani to be more realistic in terms of terms of a settlement. Because uh, uh, President Ghani had many friends in Washington. He was well known here. And, and uh, uh, people were pressing me not to press him too hard at the same time as we were thinking we were going to get out uh, at, uh, at, on, based on a calendar. And I think that was that was very much wrong-headed in my judgment, with all due respect, because uh, President Ghani, and until it was relatively late, uh, were, was making demands as if he had won the war rather than he was losing the war. And Washington's uh, approach to him uh, that we shouldn't press him uh, as hard as we needed to do for him to make a deal that was realistic, meaning that he wouldn't lead the peace government, uh, that somebody that both sides would accept would have to, uh, to, to, to lead it. And he insisted until the very end that he would 
lead the post-agreement government until there is an election, and then the, uh, the his successor will be decided in an election. And that was not, uh, the, given the realities on the ground and the speed with which they were moving, uh, it was unrealistic, uh, and, and, and we didn't press them hard enough, in my view, in, in, a, in a timely manner on this issue, to be helpful to him and to his country and its future. We're going to take another quick break. We'll be right back with more Intelligence Matters. Stay with us. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So, Ambassador, I want to switch to a couple of questions about our last months in Afghanistan. And I guess I want to start by asking you if you agreed with President Biden's decision to follow through on President Trump's commitment to withdraw all U.S. forces? Well, I preferred, uh, and, and uh, Tony Blinken and others, uh, uh, we, we would have preferred that uh, the president follow a condition-based approach uh, to have a political settlement before full withdrawal. But then the president decided uh, that if the Talibs were uh, going to go back to war, if that was a judgment, if we didn't withdraw in a timely manner, that he, and his own pessimism, uh, long-standing about uh, Afghanistan and the willingness of Afghan leaders to come together, uh, then we were uh, we did all that we could, to myself included, to implement the president's decision. Uh, and and uh, and uh, to gain more time, the president decided uh, that since the process, the review process has taken a long time, uh, that we needed four more months uh, for withdrawal to be completed. In effect, to make the timetable 18 months plus rather than 14 months, which it was, and uh, that was the single most important focus of my effort to uh, make sure that the Talibs do not attack us after the 14-month date uh, uh, and uh, and then to push uh, nevertheless with with with, with uh, the uh, president's decision in mind to see what what uh, if we could accelerate uh, a political settlement uh, and uh, we succeeded with regard to the Talibs not attacking us we did not succeed uh, uh, in terms of getting a political settlement uh, uh, between the Talibs and the government. And even what was agreed to uh, on the 15th of August by the government uh, and the Talibs, finally we got an agreement uh, on August 15 between the two sides. But then with President Ghani's departure, a uh, surprise to everyone on August 15, and the disintegration of whatever forces that remained uh, and the Talibs asked us whether we would take responsibility for Kabul security uh, or they would go in and ultimately they went in and so there was no political agreement. At what point, Ambassador, did it become clear to you that the Afghan government would collapse? Well, I actually, uh, 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 it was rather late. I thought, uh, frankly, uh, that uh, the government, uh, it would take a, it would take some time uh, for it to collapse. Uh, I was surprised myself by the uh, by the uh, decision of the Afghan forces, uh, with, the, with the speed to which they uh, they uh, uh, turned over areas to the Taliban without the fight. And I was very surprised also by the uh, 
Rangani's decision uh, uh, three hours uh, before his departure, he agreed uh, uh, with me and his own channels with the Talibs on this two weeks of uh, ceasefire essentially in Kabul and the negotiations. So I was surprised that he did that he, uh, that he uh, departed uh, uh, without letting um, very many people around him know. Why do you think, why do you think he fled? I, just, I really don't know for sure. I think he was perhaps uh, uh, persuaded uh, that uh, uh, the Talib might not honor the agreement, uh, that, uh, that he might get caught uh, in Kabul uh, and Terrible things could happen to him and his, uh, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, President Najib uh, uh, of the post-Soviet government was hanged by the uh, forces similar to the Talibs. So whether that was uh, uh, what persuaded him, but, but he had told the Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, the night before that he was not going to leave, that he was going to stay in Afghanistan, uh, and he had announced many times that he wasn't going to leave, uh, do some of uh, what some Afghan leaders in the past had done to, to leave the country. Uh, so we were surprised uh, by that. If his, his personal security was at risk, uh, we, we could have asked for help. Uh, we, uh, I'm sure we would have considered it. Remember, uh, you might remember that we sent people to protect President Karzai for many months at the beginning when he felt there was a security problem. So, but he didn't. Uh, and we were, uh, uh, we were very much surprised by what happened. And then what's your view of the U.S. government's execution of our departure? Did it need to be as messy as it was? Well, terrible, of course, it was a debacle, embarrassing. No one was happy about it. I'm sure uh, President Biden included logistically, we did amazing things, obviously, but uh, something happened, a combination that was quite uh, powerful and, and, and negative, uh, which is uh, that there was an impression created uh, that the Talibs coming into the city, although many uh, leaders asked for the Talibs to come in once the forces disintegrated in Kabul, but the public impression was that there will be street-to-street -street fighting and uh, and uh, many uh, uh, people will get killed. There will be widespread destruction. That was the Afghan experience of the last fight after the Soviet departure. We destroyed Kabul, uh, and uh, and uh, we uh, 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 departed ourselves. We closed the embassy uh, and moved to to uh, uh, the airport. Uh, which was not the plan. The plan had been that we will keep the embassy, and I had talked to the Talibs about numbers of forces we will have to protect the embassy and the airport. But nevertheless, given the scenario of the Ghani departure, uh, 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 then the second thing that combined with the first, the sphere, the first, second was opportunity, which is anyone who can make it to the airport would be taken to the U.S. With, or Europe, whether you have documents or not, created this... Uh, 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 this disastrous situation, uh, and uh, you know, uh, the scenario, as I said before, was that uh, we would stay in uh, at the embassy and we'll keep the airport, and uh, that the Turks would uh, either run it, and then we thought we would uh, we would run it in combination with others, and we'll maintain some forces which we had informed the Talibs, and that's why the sequencing of which uh, the withdrawal was background before. Kabul airport before full withdrawal because we didn't plan to withdraw or abandon Kabul airport or the embassy. So, but the scenario changed, and yes, uh, lots of questions about uh, the execution there. Yes. So, Ambassador, the future, you know, where to now in Afghanistan, and maybe the place to start is with politics. Uh, Mullah Berater, who you dealt with in the negotiations is not in the top job. He seems to have been sidelined a bit. The Haqqani family is playing a big role. And since the Taliban took power, we've seen them carry out public executions, torture, violence against women. They've forbidden women from attending secondary schools, playing sports, etc. Are the hardliners in charge here? How would you describe the governing regime at the moment? First, I think uh, 
the hardliners are more powerful, but I think your description uh, is not uh, that I don't agree with exactly uh, uh, that uh, uh, this is not the Taliban of the 1990s. Uh, I believe that uh, uh, with regard to uh, women, uh, they are saying they will, all women will go to high school. They announced yesterday that March 21st, Afghan New Year, all high schools for girls would be open. Uh, in nine provinces, already girls go to high school. Uh, and in private universities, men and women go to school or university. Public universities have not been opened yet. Uh, the level of violence in terms of killings uh, is, uh, any, is obviously unacceptable. It's, uh, uh, far less than fear given the magnitude of the change that has happened. But nevertheless, uh, uh, media is, uh, I watch Afghan media very closely, and very active, very critical of the Talibs. Um, men and women, both uh, presenters in evening news. There are problems, obviously. Uh, the women in many ministries, uh, there have been limitations on. Uh, I think the way the change happened undermined the Doha group because change didn't come through negotiations and Akhanis are empowered, particularly in Kabul. And there are tensions inside with also some religious figures around Ayatollah playing uh, an important role. Uh, there is a, therefore three sort of groupings. I think uh, that, uh, that uh, the story of Afghanistan is not finished, of course, uh, although uh, our role has changed obviously dramatically. But Talibs want things from the international community, uh, normalcy, unfreezing of, of, their, of the money of Afghanistan, getting off lists, uh, economic assistance. And, uh, and we want things from the Talibs on terrorism, given the change situation, as well as on, on rights uh, uh, of Afghans. And I believe that uh, we have unfinished business in the sense that uh, the Doha agreement in its entirety hasn't been implemented. I've been an advocate of, uh, of sitting together with the Talibs, uh, uh, reaching a, another agreement and writing the details of uh, the details, what it is that we will do in exchange for what. And that would also positively affect, in my view, the balance of power inside uh, with the Taliban. Uh, I think politics here uh, uh, is uh, hindering uh, the uh, uh, steps that I think our national interest uh, demands, which is uh, uh, to engage and, and, and uh, make progress on the terrorism account in the new environment uh, and on uh, kind of uh, on our values with regard to women an exchange for which uh, there are things that the Taliban want that we would do, but it has to be uh, negotiated in details and in writing so that all the factions uh, uh, of the Talibs understand what the agreement is. Uh, I think turning our back uh, the, uh, on Afghanistan, the political costs and the security costs would be higher uh, down the road if Afghanistan collapses uh, and uh, terrorism expands, uh, I think you either you pay now or you pay later. Uh, there may be some costs, political costs for engagement and negotiating seriously, uh, but the cost will be much higher, both politically and otherwise, uh, if we don't, and uh, the situation gets a lot worse. With the Haqqanis in charge in Kabul, with the leader of the Haqqanis as the interior minister, I'm wondering if you're concerned about the Taliban commitment with regard to al-Qaeda. I am concerned about that. Haqqanis uh, want badly to get off the list. Uh, you know, uh, they are a terrorist group. They want to know, uh, they say, how they can uh, get off of that list. They, uh, uh, and there are uh, people who are offering themselves as uh, intermediaries to deal with this situation. Uh, 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 the, 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 there should be a path for people to earn uh, their way back. 
uh, uh, but that can't be just based on promises. There will have to be uh, performance and performance for a uh, for a substantial period of time before uh, 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 steps are taken that they are asking for. Uh, I think there is room for diplomacy. We have unfinished business, uh, uh, the business of the nation there. Uh, but yes, I think Akani's are a particular uh, 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 group of concern because of Al Qaeda. Ambassador, I want to just end here with a couple of final questions. The first is there's been a lot of blame thrown your way. Your critics have said that you've become the face of one of the largest U.S. diplomatic failures in history. And the first question I wanted to ask you is, what do you believe are the biggest misconceptions about the end of our involvement in Afghanistan and your role in it? Well, the obvious one is that people think I've decided everything as if I was the commander-in-chief and the president. I wasn't. I was a member of a team, a significant uh, player, but that's one. And two, people are unrealistic about what uh, our options were. Uh, The situation in Afghanistan was not a good one, uh, uh, and we were uh, losing ground, as I said before. And, and uh, you know, uh, we, uh, the president wanted to get out. And in those circumstances, I think there were some achievements getting out safely of, of the forces and commitments on terrorism. But on the Afghan-Afghan negotiations, um, I mean, the pessimists turned out to be right. Uh, you know, I personally, because of my own background, uh, uh, gave it all that I could to bring the Afghans to uh, to the to, uh, to the negotiating table. They did, but to agree to uh, to uh, but and they didn't. And I'm uh, unhappy about that. But uh, I think for Afghanistan to work, that's the unfinished part, and uh, diplomacy must continue. Uh, 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 and we should uh, use our leverage, and it's considerable. And the Talibs want to talk to us. The other Afghans want to talk to us. To, to help them achieve uh, that uh, lasting uh, political agreement that, uh, that uh, uh, they did not uh, during the timetable that uh, we uh, agreed to the Talibs the 14 months. Uh, I am uh, not happy that uh, that did not happen, but it was uh, not for lack of trying. And I wanted to ask you the misconception question, but I also want to ask you the other obvious question, which is with 2020 hindsight now, are there things that you wish you would have done differently? Well, I always uh, think about that. I mean, I think about it every day when I do something. Uh, I, I, yes, uh, I, uh, you know, uh, uh, people say maybe uh, we should have gotten the UN more involved. Uh, we tried that. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe we could have uh, uh, done more to... Uh, I could have made a better case to convince the leaders of uh, the United States to press President Ghani more. Uh, uh, for example, I feel that we did not do well by him, uh, that uh, by perhaps not pressing him hard enough, although we, uh, the public perception is we pressed him too hard. Yes, the, I mean, I, I think about it all the time, uh, and I thought about it during that period as well. Uh, uh, that uh, what ifs, but you know, uh, 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 I did what I could uh, at the time when I confronted the issue, and I tr- I tried to convince uh, the um, uh, leaders of the U.S. sometimes to do things differently, like uh, condition base, which was a essential thing. Uh, but I always felt that uh, you know. I should try and try harder. I could have left after uh, the agreement with the Talibs, but I I could have threatened to leave several times or actually left to get the president to change his mind. I didn't do that. I thought that uh, being there, perhaps I was going to be more helpful that uh, the soldiers don't get the option of resigning. The, perhaps they do, but they don't. And I felt the same way, that I had to do my very best uh, to uh, serve the interests uh, of the United States and the president that I worked for. Mr. Ambassador, thank you so much 
for joining us. We really look forward to your next book. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you. Uh, thank you for uh, the conversation and the very uh, uh, informed questions that, uh, that you asked. That was Zalmay Khalilzad. I'm Michael Morrell. Please join us next week for another episode of Intelligence Matters. Intelligence Matters is sponsored by Palantir Technologies, foundational software of tomorrow, delivered today. The show is produced by Olivia Gassis, Jamie Benson, Paulina Smolinski, and Ashley Armstrong. For more from this week's show, visit cbsnews.com. Intelligence Matters is a production of CBS News. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.